Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us for How She Does It, where we talk about all things women, money, and power. I'm Karen Feinerman. The cost of pharmaceuticals is so, well, murky. And today, we're going to explore exactly why that is and why it doesn't have to be that way. Because prescription drug affordability is truly a crisis in our country. In 2023, more than one-third of Americans said they've not filled a necessary prescription due to cost. 60% of adults in our country take at least one prescription medicine, and 80% of them say that the cost of their prescription drugs is unreasonable. And this is a particular concern for women. According to a study from researchers at the Columbia Mailman School of Public Health, women are more likely than men to report cost-related barriers to filling their prescription medicines. Thankfully, many new prescription drug providers are helping to mitigate these high prices. Perhaps you've heard of entrepreneur Mark Cuban making waves with his Mark Cuban Cost Plus Discount Pharmacy, where consumers can save up to 80% on commonly prescribed generic drugs. The company made headlines recently when Blue Shield of California announced that it was turning away from pharmacy giant CVS, which is consistently rated as one of the country's most expensive pharmacies, and teaming up with Cuban's Cost Plus and Amazon Pharmacy. The goal is simple helping people save millions of dollars on their health care. That's the goal shared by our guest today, Susan Lang, who is CEO and founder of Visory Health, a prescription savings company that helps consumers, particularly women, get better prices on their medication. Since Visory launched just over a year ago, it has already become the fourth largest prescription discount card and has helped 3 million patients save nearly $4 billion, yes, billion dollars on their prescriptions. Before starting Visory Health, Susan spent two decades in C-suite positions at leading healthcare companies, including Express Scripts, BJC Healthcare, and more. Susan was just recently named on the 2023 Forbes 50 Over 50 list and was recognized on Inc.'s Top 100 Female Founders list last year. Susan, wow, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Karen. It's great to be here. So you spent many years at Express Scripts, a pharmacy benefits manager, PBM, and you are one of the nation's foremost drug pricing experts. So you may be the absolute best person to answer this question. Why are drug prices so opaque and what industry factors are at play here? And I've actually studied this business somewhat 
And still, I don't really believe I understand it. So can you explain to us step by step what happens from when the drug is manufactured to when we pick it up at the pharmacy? Sure. So let's just talk a little bit about the industry generally. So we spend $4.3 trillion a year on health care. Out of that, $685 billion are spent on drugs. We fill 6.5 billion prescriptions in pharmacies in the United States a year. I tell you that to show you the magnitude of this industry and why it's so opaque. So then if you think about that, how do you split up this 6 billion plus scripts? You have the manufacturers, of which there are over 100 manufacturers in the United States, but most drugs, the active ingredient, the chemical, is coming from outside the country. You have wholesalers that distribute the drugs for the manufacturers. You have pharmacy benefit managers who manage the drug benefit part of your healthcare benefit, your medical benefits you get from your employers. And then you have the pharmacies that fill them. And then you have all kinds of other folks that are in between, including insurance brokers and all kinds of other people that are in the mix. So lots and lots of layers of a very, very complicated supply chain by the time it actually the drug actually gets to the consumer. Mm-hmm. So give me an example then maybe of a generic where what the cost of the drug might be and then what happens when you go to pick it up at the pharmacy. So out of that 6 billion scripts a year, 90% are generics that are filled. So that's about 5.8 billion scripts. So a drug manufacturer may sell that drug for, let's just say the economics, 30 cents per script. And then the middlemen jump in because it could be less than a penny a pill. Some of these drugs are less than a penny a pill. Then the middlemen jump in. So then you have the wholesalers that have to get paid because they have to distribute the drugs. Then you have people that are in compliance. Then you have attorneys. Then you have government regulation. Then you've got the PBM who has to sell the drug to their client. And their client is whoever's buying the benefit. So your employer that buys a benefit for you, right, for their employees. That could be labor unions. It could be the government employees. It could be anybody. And then you have pharmacies. And then you have analytics companies like IQV. I mean, it's just layer upon layer upon layer. So that 30 cents... By the time you get to the pharmacy, it could be $15, mm-hmm. right? It's that sort of directional culpability all the way along where you're just adding cost and cost and cost because, again, so many players in the drug supply chain. Everybody has to get paid. All right. So the pharmacy benefits manager part, are they actually incented to pay more for drugs or less for drugs? Depends on who they're paying. If you are a mail-order pharmacy, if you are Express Scripts Cigna, which is the big three, Express Script Cigna, Caremark CVS, Optimar X United, and you have a mail-order pharmacy where you're going to buy the drugs and fill them the cells in your pharmacy, you want to pay as little as possible to get as much profit as possible. Mm-hmm. That's different than if you were paying a pharmacy to actually fill the drug for you. And then it gets more complicated if it's not just generics, if it's a brand drug, and you are asking for a formulary drug rebate from the drug manufacturer, which adds cost to the drug, because you want to take a part of that rebate and keep it as a revenue stream, but you also want to pass some of that on to whoever's, you know, the plan sponsor, the employer, to buy down the cost of the benefit for their employees. So very, very complicated levers, lots of pricing levers in there, very complicated in terms of what you do as a PBM. Uh huh. So I just intuitively come to the idea, okay, anything that's super complicated with lots of levers and very opaque, 
There has to be gigantic efficiencies in there to be had somewhere. Agreed. So that's where you come in, right? So there was this big high-profile deal recently announced, the Mark Cuban cost plus drugs and Amazon together. Right. Taking over a big part of the business, not all, from Blue Shield of California. Okay, so that's somewhat similar. You do something like that. Explain to us what you do, where you come in in this story of manufacturing to getting to the pharmacy. Okay, so where we come in is we are the agent, if you will. We're the discount program in between the pharmacy, directly working with the pharmacies and the consumer. So forget about your benefits, forget about your health insurance, forget about your PBM, take all those out of the equation. And it's just between us, the consumer, and the pharmacy. So if you get a prescription from your doctor and you need to get that filled, you go to the pharmacy, you tell them, I want to use the advisory health card, and you'll get a discount. You'll pay cash and walk out with your prescription. So you don't have any prior authorizations. You don't have all these other step therapies, all these other things that PBMs do. That's all gone. Uh Um, What Mark Cuban is doing, which is great. I mean, look, this is an industry that needs disruption, right? So it's a 35-year-old industry. It's massively consolidated amongst the big three PBMs who own about 90% of this book and a very mature industry dominated by 40 Fortune 100 companies, right? So it's the Pfizer's and it's the the CVS's and it's the United Healthcare's and all that, right? So massively consolidated. So what happens when you're massively consolidated is you really don't innovate as much as you need to because you're really just trying to keep the revenue flowing and keep your earnings. You just got to keep hitting your earnings, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's where great. people- You don't want it to change. Right. No, no. You want to hold on as long as you can to the status quo. So people like Mark Cuban, because of his amazing ability to brand, right, and, and his followers, I do think it's really positive that more people with Visory, with Mark Cuban, there's several others are jumping in to say, hey, this has to be done differently. You can't keep, if we have five or eight levels of supply chain skimming off the top, adding cost to that drug, by the time it gets to the consumer, they simply can't afford it. How do we take out some of those players and make a shorter supply chain direct to the consumer where they can afford it? And so that's what we do by working directly with the pharmacies and the consumers. That's what Mark Cuban is trying to do. That's what actually Blue Shield of California, they're saying, we want to cut out some of this complexity and this opaqueness, and we're going to try to go more direct so that we can see the data, we can see what's happening with our prescriptions, and we can come up with better plans for the consumers and our patients, which is the right answer. Okay, so you've saved customers $4 billion since you've launched. And to do that, you had to go sign up thousands of pharmacies. That sounds like a Herculean task. How do you do that? And what's in it for them? And there has to be something in it for you. How does that relationship work? So this is what we do. We say, okay, look, if you will directly contract with us, we will actually pay you more than an insurance company or PBM. So we are reimbursing you to fill that prescription. You're going to get paid more. We're going to actually have a better price for the consumer than their insurance, which that doesn't even make sense, right? If you're paying for your premium, you think you should get the best price, but you're not. Okay, that's interesting and astounding. Okay. We're actually going to have a better price for the consumer, right? And we're going to take a really small fee. Uh So all those really big fees are going to go away. We'll just take a really small fee to do that because we're a small company. I don't have overhead. I don't have hundreds of thousands of employees that I have to pay. So we're going to do it with technology, and we built out all our own technology. And so we're going to redistribute all the economics so that it's better for the pharmacy, better for the consumer, and then we take a really small fee. And that's how it works. So let's go back to that one cent a pill that's $15 at the pharmacy. Mm -hmm. What is the pharmacy making from a CVS, let's say, and versus what, what you're offering the pharmacy? 
Well, in some instances, and I'll reference this because it's been public and it's been stated publicly, in some instances, there are pharmacies like, let's just say Kroger Pharmacy, who we have partnered with mm-hmm. and fabulous leadership team at Kroger, really trying to help the community. They terminated part of their relationship with Express Scripts in the past year because they were literally losing money on every prescription they filled. Really? And how do you do make it up in volume? What's the, I, I don't know. You can't, well, if you make it up in volume, your loss gets bigger, right? So they finally had, and it was a really tough decision, right? Because it affects millions of uh, patients. At the end of the day, it's not sustainable. Those economics are just simply not sustainable. So if you have a negative margin from your payer, or if you have a low margin, 25 cents margin, you can make substantially more by redistributing a better value to the consumer, and cutting them out. Now, there's no infrastructure that would allow at this moment to somehow convert six billion scripts over to these disruptors, including us. It's gonna be incremental. We're gonna start pulling share away, which is what we're doing. So right now, about 5% of the market share is in cash. Five to 6% is, is in cash. So we're starting to pull market share away. I think that will- Okay, so just explain to, so cash is someone who is not insured or just is choosing not to go through insurance for this particular- They choose not to use their insurance or maybe they don't have insurance. So it's all of the above. So it's uninsured, which now could also mean the gig economy. Uh So all these people, the gig economy, there's millions of them, don't have insurance. It could be people that have insurance, but they have a high deductible plan. Mm -hmm. So they're paying out of pocket that 100% coinsurance out of pocket until they hit their deductible. It could be 30% of our book are Medicare beneficiaries who either did not get the Part D because they were healthy at the time, which was my mom and dad. When they signed up for Medicare, very healthy, not on meds, never got the Part D. Or the Part D plan is so complex and has so many levels of deductible and copay, they decide, look, if I want to get my atorvastatin, which is the number one generic filled in the country, it's just easier to go in and pay $14 and walk out of the pharmacy. I don't want to mess with my insurance. I don't want to talk to my insurance company about it. It's just it's much simpler process. And by the way, because we have developed an app, the consumer can download the app It's free. They don't have to log in. They don't have to give us personal information. They can put their drug name in. They can look up the pharmacy and know exactly what it's going to cost before they go to the pharmacy, which you can't do that with insurance. You don't know if you're in a high deductible plan what you're paying until you get to the pharmacy and realize, oh my gosh, it's $150. I can't pay that, right? With us, they'll know before they even get to the pharmacy what they're going to have to spend out of pocket, which is really critical because you said at the beginning of the program, Lots and lots of people are not filling their scripts because they can't afford it. And that particularly hits women. So I know you also do work with veterans. We do. This would be a population that would really find this incredibly helpful, I would think. So what I'm concerned about, so I'm an old hospital administrator, right? I ran hospitals (laughs) for, for many years. So I still think like that. I think about populations of people that are under duress, disproportionately hit maybe last three years by COVID. So young moms with kids, really tough time. Older women, number one issue is heart disease, right? Making sure they stay on their their heart meds. African-American community, diabetes, veterans, mental health. I mean, these are things that we are trying to make sure that basically they just can afford just to get a basic med. If we can get you to care, if we can get you in front of a primary care doctor, get you some care, let's make sure after that, that you actually can take your meds and stay on your meds and stay as healthy as you possibly can. So we're focused on people that are taking care of us. The people that take care of our communities, moms, daughters, and certainly men, firefighters, first responders, veterans, people that are taking care of us, we want to take care of them. We want them to know that somebody's got their back and we're looking out for their best interest. Mm -hmm. There's so much to ask you, but we're going to take a quick break. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. 
I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places. Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan. But nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more— We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So let me diverge for a minute. You've had a very interesting career in all parts of healthcare. Right. You and I talked a little before this. You talked about working at hospitals, and that was a very relationship, personal, really working with the staff and the doctors and nurses and whoever. And then you were at Express Scripts, which on the outside seems to be the opposite of that in many ways, more transactional. You're sort of on the other side of where you are now. Do you have any sense how Express Scripts feels about advisory or the whole industry, the Mark Cuban? that whole industry. So here's what I think is going to happen. I agree with you. So Express Scripts is very transactional. When you're doing 1.2 billion at the time, we were doing 1.2 billion scripts a year, it's transactions. And my background is definitely long-term relationships. So here's what I think. I think right now the PBMs have been looking at the cash cards for a couple of years and monitoring this and trying to figure out how does that become a revenue stream for us. So it's great if they can turn it into a revenue stream. And that's so that's what they're doing. So when Express Scripts announced that they're going to do a deal with GoodRx and they're going to start converting some of their commercial members, which are insured patients, over to cash, it's because they can make a revenue stream on it. So for them, this could be a new revenue stream. What doesn't make sense to me in that equation is if someone is paying for their insurance, why aren't they getting the best rate? Why do you have to come to me as a cash card to get a better rate? There's something completely broken uh-huh. in that calculus. It doesn't make any sense. Right. But that's where this is going to go, Karen. They're going to end up embracing this as a strategy because they'll figure out a way to make money at it. Yes, I get that. Can it be also, though, that they're seeing, while well, the writing is on the wall here, right? And maybe the golden goose is ill and maybe near death. And so we're not going to get that same golden goose back, but let's focus on, all right, things are changing. We want to sort of adapt. 
to this new way and margins are going to be less, but it's going to be better. Could it be that? Is it possible for PBMs to hold on to the way it is now? I don't think it's possible that this is sustainable. I really don't. I think you're exactly right on with that. It's the same reason why you saw PBMs who have decimated the community pharmacy space now go back and say, oh, no, no, now we're going to embrace community pharmacies after 20 years of killing them and trying to drive them out of business, right, by not paying them anything. Uh So I do think what they're doing today is not sustainable because there is a misalignment in the market, because they are not aligned with their clients, they're conflicted, because they do work with funding from pharma. You know, so there's all kinds of conflicts in this supply chain. And so I think, to your point, they're going to be forced to change. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping that some disruption forces a change because I can certainly see the benefit design changing. In the future, you could have a benefit design where low-cost generics are disaggregated outside of the benefit, and that goes to cash. Let your employees pay for that because they can afford the $10 a month. Uh-huh. And then as the employer, you keep funding the very expensive brand drugs and specialty drugs that are the 10% that are truly not affordable, right? Uh-huh. So I do think this is going to force a change in both how they operate and how people view their health benefit. I'm just curious. I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but in terms of healthcare spending, how much is drugs and prescriptions versus hospitalizations and surgeries and things like that? So out of the $4.3 trillion, 15% are drugs. $4.3 trillion. Okay. $4.3 trillion, 18.3% of our GDP. Amazing. Okay. okay. Right. It's amazing. So out of the 4.3, 15% is spent on drugs and about 42% is spent on hospitals. Mm-hmm. And I don't off the top of my head, I used to know the physician number, but I'm going to say that's probably still around 16, 17% on physicians. And then there's all kinds of other levels of care, SNFs, outpatient. SNFs is skilled nursing facility. Skilled nursing, physical therapy. You know, then there's just other types of home health. There's other types of services, right? Infusion. But that's generally how it breaks down. So 10 years ago, drugs would have been 10% of the spending. Now they're 15 That's because of specialty drugs, they're only 2.5% of all the volume, but they account for more than 50% of all the cost. Uh So very, very expensive drugs. And why is it the U.S. is so different than, I don't know, pick a European country, for example? What's their system? So what they have done generally in the European scheme for how you do drug pricing is they've bought the price of brand drugs down and the price of generics up. So the corridor is much tighter and it's more affordable. They don't allow the rebates that we allow here, which I'm completely against formulated drug rebates. I think it superficially creates barriers to entry for new drugs and also artificially increases the cost of drugs when they come to market. Here in the United States, drug manufacturer pricing is protected. It's hard to regulate because the supply chain is global. It's not manufactured. Pieces are coming from all over. You may get the active chemical ingredient from China. You may send that to India. In India, they'll put it in a pill form. Then that will get a drop shift to a Caribbean island, and then that ends up getting distributed to the United States or to Turkey or somewhere, right? So there's no such thing as an American supply chain anymore, generally, on all the drugs, although there are a couple drug manufacturers trying to do that. So I do think here the protection has been, this is the argument from pharma, if you don't allow us to price the way we need, we will stop doing drug discovery because drug discovery is so expensive. It used to cost a billion dollars to bring a drug to market. Now the estimate is about $800 million dollars. I think that's simply untrue. I think it's a ridiculous argument. These drug manufacturers are on average in 150 to 175 countries. There is no reason that the United States should be paying for all of that, that United States consumers. So I think that's just sort of a false flag, if you will. Uh Uh-huh. 
to allow them to address the most wealthiest market in the world. Exactly. The United States. Right. Uh-huh. I see. So this is amazing that you've built this in a year and already saved so much money. How widespread do you hope this is? Do you want to sort of put yourself out of business by changing the industry? Yeah. So what we hope to do is, so we're so new, right? We're a year and a half old. So we're pretty new in this space. So we really hope to keep growing this and get to these populations that we think are not really being served and not having access. So that's really going to be our key goal of the next two years is let's get to the veterans. Let's get to these some of these minority populations that we know are not on their meds. Let's make sure women are taking their meds. Let's get the message out there. 90% of all drugs are generics. It is also, though, 66% of adults are on a medication. It's 131 million Americans take drugs. So then I think we need to turn our attention to that top 10% of drugs, those high-cost brands and specialty. What are we going to do there? Because oftentimes there is not an alternative to that therapy. So how do we want to think about drug pricing there? So I think first step is let's cover the 90%. Let's get that done, and let's make sure we can disrupt that market and people can access affordable meds. And then I think we're going to turn our attention to now what do we do for that other 10% of life-saving medications that people simply can't afford. This is sort of a groundswell that was really hard to get started, but maybe now is reaching a critical mass so that this is the way it's going to be. Yes. So that's exactly right. So I would tell you, Karen, when you asked me, and I'll circle back to how do you sign up all these pharmacies? I mean, it's a slog, right? You're going chain by Uh chain. You're meeting with teams, team after team. It takes months to do that. But I think by people like Cuban coming in with his reputation, I'm going to make a distinction between Cuban and Amazon. Amazon Pharmacy uses Express Scripts Network. So you're back in the PBM, right? Okay, but when you say Express Scripts Network, that term network, is that a... Of pharmacies. So their contracted pharmacy network, essentially Amazon rents. So they don't have direct contracts with the pharmacies. Cuban is trying to go out and directly contract with the pharmacies and develop his own pharmacy network, which is what we have done. Right. It takes a long time. It takes months to get that done. So it's a little different, those two strategies of one is trying to disenfranchise, if you will, the PBM. The other one sort of is embrace them and is using their services. So so that's a little bit interesting. Even in Cuban's model, his formulated drug rebates for brand drugs only do come from Prime Therapeutics, which is a PBM owned by 14 Blues Plan. So it's very hard to just disrupt and be completely independent. We are right now, but we're not doing full paid benefits. We're doing cash only, right? So we are doing that. So I do think all these, to your point, all of these entrants of all of these new models will have to change the way the industry is thinking about it because it happens on a state-by-state level. It's almost impossible to get federal legislation passed, but the PBM fight and insurance and benefits is going to be on a state-by-state level. And that's where states will want for their own employees because it's such a big, if you think about a state budget, paying for health care for state employees is also a huge expense for them. They want transparency. They're looking at something new. That's why Blue Cross of California is looking at this. So I think on a state by state level, you're going to see adoption. It'll be slow. And then to your point, it'll be really rapid. And I think in five or six years, I say everything in healthcare goes in decades. So it takes about a decade. This has been going on already for several years, but I think it takes about a decade to change anything in healthcare. So do you imagine that a world five or 10 years from now that the price of the generics, and you said that's 90%, is that right? 90% of the drug will have changed radically for most people. For the consumer, yes. Mm-hmm. For the consumer, yes. And therefore, by the at the cost of the old 
hierarchy. Correct. Unless they somehow incorporate that into their benefit plan for the employers, then they'll be disaggregated, right? So what Kroger was able to do, which Walgreens had tried to do, which is can a big pharmacy chain sustain itself without contracting with every single PBM? I think the Kroger's answered that question for the industry that says, yes, they're doing fine, right? They're still growing. That's a great big example, Kroger. That's a huge shift. Now, I would imagine that, so CVS, that's not going to be eligible for advisory or a Mark Cuban, I would think, because of their marriage to Caremark, the PBM. Is that right or no? Is there some independence in CVS? Yeah, we actually work with CVS, so we do work with all the big chains. So CVS also makes decisions for their pharmacies, so a little bit sometimes separately. Now, there's no question, I mean, corporate right, can dictate what their goals are. But at the end of the day, they still have to make some decisions to run their pharmacy. So we still feel like CVS for us, we still want to have a really close relationship with them because we still think there's an opportunity there for some of their consumers to get better pricing with us. So let me switch now a little bit to this is a an important endeavor and hopefully hundreds of millions of Americans will benefit from this. But you are a businesswoman. You have this business now. You want it to succeed. You want to make a fair profit. So your business model, explain it to me a little bit more. You said you take a small cut, but how does that work and how do you stay lean? So we launched with 12 employees, right? Again, we have old relationships, long relationships in the industry. People have known who I am for a long time and we are leveraging technology, right? And so that's how we're doing it. So we have scaled this first year. We're up to 38 employees, right? We really don't want to get a lot. I mean, we're 50 is probably my max and that's full-time employees that are actually on board with us that are not contracted or outsourced. So we have more employees than that. We're going to try to stay really lean. And the way I think about that as an entrepreneur is there's a lot of different things that we could do. It's a really complex space. I could get into pharma services. I could go into rebates. I could try to do deals with PBM. I could do a lot of things. We're going to try to stay focused on our core mission and make sure that when we hire, everybody is fully engaged, that we hire sort of industry veterans that know exactly what they're doing and keep that group really, really small and tight and stay focused on what we think matters to us. And the reason that works, Karen, is because we didn't go out and take a bunch of funding. Our funding came from our operations from XIL Health, which is our technology and consulting firm. So we don't have a whole bunch of money where we can just spend and scale and then decide, does it work, throw it against the wall, does any of this work? We have to be really strategic about what we can invest in because it's just us, right? But I also don't have that overhead, right? I don't have a huge massive overhead that I have to fund. So we can do this in a very lean way for very small fees. And so we have to aggregate volume, right? So we're going to aggregate volume for really small fees. That's the goal. So you are the David with no VC funding. Right. And yet you've been able to do it yourself. Right. That is kind of amazing and good for you. Right. But it's a contrarian position because to get status, everybody wants to know. The first thing people ask is, well, but what's your funding base? What's your A, B, and C series? And we're like, no, no, we have no, we have no series. We have no funding. And part of that, I'll be really honest, is I didn't want to work for private equity. I didn't want to work for VCs. I worked for some of the best CEOs in the country in healthcare. I said, we're going to bet on ourselves. I have an all-female executive team. My CFO and I have worked together 21 years, Karen Baer, in three different healthcare organizations. My COO and I have worked together now 18 years in two different organizations. So we said, okay, and by the way, three of us over 60, crazy. I launched this when I was 61, crazy. I love it. This is great. Right? But we're going to just take a chance on us 
And if it fails, it fails. It's just us. Look, so what? Who knows, right? Nobody knows. But if we can make it happen, it's something we're passionate about. We think it matters. We think it, you know, I'm not building to a, quote, valuation because I took funding. I'm trying to help folks actually get their meds, right? That's really, really important to us. What would it look like to have you feel, well? I really succeeded in this? We feel a little bit like that right now. So now the question is, because... If you had seen what our financial projections were and where we are now in terms of just the volume of scripts we have, we were like, oh my God, if we can build up to a million scripts a year, that'd be great, right? And we're far, far over that. So now the question is, can you sustain it? Because we are little, right? I can't spend 20 million a month on advertising and things like that. So can we sustain it? What does that look like for us? And then how do we grow in the areas that are really important to us so that even if we don't make as much money as some of these other companies, we're doing work that we think is really important. (laughs) You know, I've had a great run, right? I mean, my 60s, I've had a great run. If I can end my career really helping people stay on their meds and having a material impact to that, then that's great for me. Then that's just, I don't know what else I could ask for. That is great. How do you advertise, by the way? We use digital marketing, but in places where we hope nobody else is. So we try to find places where nobody is. And then we work with a lot of associations where we have sort of old, longstanding relationships, right? We do sponsorships. There's a lot of things that we're doing right now. We're actually looking at, we want to choose three different not-for-profits that charities where we can donate money to their populations, right? So that we can actually donate. So when you use Visory, hopefully a percentage of our net proceeds will go to charities that help Women, children, and vets, those are the three areas we're focused on right now. But that gets us some good public relations, right? So we're trying to do sort of, again, align with the community and hopefully get some good press out of that. But it's not going to be a bunch of paid advertising because we can't do it. Well, it's working so far. Well, I'm here with you, which I'm so thrilled. I can't even tell you how thrilled I am to be here with you today. It's great. I always love learning a lot, which I have a ton. So one last thing I didn't ask about. So when someone... I don't know if they walk into a pharmacy, do they say at that time, I'm using Visory, or just when they, they say it then? Or does it matter? Can they say when they pick it up? Yeah, when they pick it up. So what happens is most prescriptions now are e-prescribed from the doctor's office. It's sent automatically, right, digitally to the pharmacy. So the member should download our app, Advisory Health. It's on Play Store. It's on iTunes. It's on wherever. Download the app. Look up the price of the drug. It'll be different by pharmacies because we have different ranges with different pharmacies, right? So some pharmacies cost more. You, you mentioned CVS costs a little more. Walgreens a little more. Some cost a little less. Grocery stores a little less. So look up the price of the drug. Walk in. On the app, you can have a digital card, but we're in the system. So we've contracted with those pharmacies. So if you just say, I want to use my advisory health card, they'll say, fine, they can do it on their system. That's all you need. But if they didn't say that and they were on some other plan, they would get a different price. They'll get a different price. Absolutely. That's so crazy. <laughs> okay. That's how it works, right? Yep. That's how we got here. All right. Before we go, we're going to do our lightning round, but I just want to take a quick break. From the latest in artificial intelligence to new apps and business upgrades, the tech industry is always changing and growing. So keep up with a Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes released nearly every day, the Daily Crunch gives you a brief overview of the biggest tech headlines, and it's all delivered in around five minutes or less. So you can easily hear about the latest updates while trying some of those updates for yourself. Listen to The Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's The Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. From the terrifying power of tornadoes to sizzling summer temperatures, AccuWeather Daily brings you the top trending weather-related story of the day, every day of the week. You can learn a lot in just a few minutes. 
Stories that will impact you, such as how a particular hurricane may affect your area. Or will that impending snow event bring more than just a winter wonderland? Occasionally, there are weather-related stories from the lighter side, like how a recent storm trapped tourists inside Agatha Christie's house, a setup perfect for a plot of one of her novels. And if there's a spectacular meteor shower or eclipse coming your way, we'll let you know if the sky in your area will be clear to check out the celestial display. You see, AccuWeather Daily is more than just weather. It's AccuWeather. Listen and subscribe to AccuWeather Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's AccuWeather Daily wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with our lightning round. Okay, so you may know this best as would you rather. The only challenge is that you can't think about these. You just have to say whatever comes in your mind at the moment. Okay, would you rather instantly become a successful startup founder or instantly become a CEO of a major company? Startup founder. Good. (laughs) Red pill or blue pill, which is a matrix reference. Red pill lets you see what's really happening in the real world. Blue pill lets you stay happy and content. (laughs) I probably am a purple pill, but if I had to, I would probably take the blue pill. Yeah, I kind of would too. Okay. (laughs) Would you rather have a constant supply of the very best tea or a constant supply of the best snacks? Tea. Fiction or nonfiction? It's almost all nonfiction. What are you reading right now? Empire of Pain, which is about Oxycontin and the opioid epidemic in the country. Oh, there's a lot to read on that. It's 500 pages. Yeah, it's a great read if you want to learn about the pharmaceutical industry or bad actors in the pharmaceutical industry, not about them. It's a great read. Would you rather work out for an hour every day for a week or go on a week-long juice cleanse? Oh, work out. Me too. Meditation or kickboxing? Meditation. Beach or mountains? Mountains. Why is that? I don't like to spend a lot of time in the sun. That's a good answer. Ozempic or intermittent fasting? Oh, intermittent fasting. All right. Would you rather drive or be driven? Drive. Would you rather be the last one up or the first one up in the morning? First. What is the very best investment you ever made and the worst investment you've ever made? And I have a very broad definition of investment. It could be anything. The best investment I can ever make in my life is getting the right staff, paying for the right staff. Oh, my gosh. Like night and day at Express Scripts, I was super competitive and wanting to bring, I don't care where they were in the organization, I would hire them. I would try to get them from my (laughs) other C-suite, right? So, I mean, because it makes a big difference. It makes your life easier. It makes the business go better. It makes that investment in that business. So always invest in the team. The worst investment I've ever made in my life I don't know. It's probably probably an Enron stock back in the day or something like that. If you're just talking about just pure numbers, right? Not understanding what was going on. But I have also made investments as a serial entrepreneur where things just didn't work out. And so you could say they were the worst, but I'll tell you, you learned so much from that. Just so much. So even though it costs some time and, and resources, you really can't trade it. I agree with that. I think, you know, you try to have a good decision-making process and make a decision, make an investment. and when I know I've made a good process and it doesn't work out, I can live with that. It's the ones where I really made a stupid process. That's right. the one that's more painful. Yeah. I agree. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me today on How She Does It. Thank you so much to Susan Lang for diving into the murky waters of prescription drugs with us today. I thought I actually knew a fair bit about it, and then I learned a whole lot more. So thank you, Susan. Thanks so much, Karen. I appreciate it. 
When you have a moment, please follow us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to updates from the Her Money community at hermoney.com slash subscribe. Our producers are Catherine Tuggle and Haley Pascalides with help from everyone at Her Money. This podcast is mixed and mastered out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is from Video Helper and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Have a great week and I look forward to seeing you here with us again. Onward. <laughs>